And there we go. I heard something this week, and, uh, and, and it was, like, it was, it was kind of like I heard it for the first time, but I hadn't heard it for the first time. It just reminded me of something very important. And it'll, it'll become more and more clear to you as we work through this passage that we're going to work through today together. Um, and, and it's simple, and it goes like this. The Bible, the Bible, which is God's revealing himself to us, what, what we know about God, and we're talking about the God that we, that we referenced earlier, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and the Holy Spirit, that God, what we know about Him is revealed to us in His Word. It's revealed to us in His Word. Now here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible wasn't written to us. The Bible was written for us. Paul didn't write Philippians to Alice. Paul wrote Philippians to the Philippians. But he wrote Philippians for us. And that's going to be very important for us to remember as we work through this story in Genesis chapter 11. The Bible was written for us. The stories are there for us. They're there for us to be able to to understand some very, very important things. In Genesis 1 through 11, these are foundational things. These are things in Genesis 1 through 11 as we read these stories and even as we read the genealogies and as we read all of this information, this is all for us to teach us about God. To teach us about who God is, what God is like. These stories and this information in Genesis 1 to 11 also teaches us about us and about what we're like. And it also teaches us about the world and what the world's like and how the world works as opposed to. Now, as opposed to how it was supposed to work in the beginning. Now, it's very important that we understand that. The Bible was written for us. It wasn't necessarily written to us. And that requires of us a little bit of understanding about the original audience in the original context. Even though we can't reconstruct it perfectly, we have to do the best that we can. And we're going to do that in Genesis chapter 11. Now, here's some things I want you to keep in mind as we work through this passage, okay? Please keep these things in mind. First of all, it's not not complicated, really not. First of all, I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 11 that human beings have a project that they want to accomplish. They have a major project that they want to accomplish, and they have a purpose in accomplishing that project. We're talking about the Tower of Babel. Okay? So human beings have a project and a purpose behind that project. A purpose driving that project. A purpose 
that, 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 that they'll realize as they complete this project. Well, at the same time that, that, that people have a project and, that, and, and, and people have a purpose in their project, God has a project and He has a purpose in His project. And the purpose of the human beings in their project are at cross purposes with God and His project. The first half of, the, of, the, of a short, very short story, the first half of a very short story is about people and their project. second half of a very short story is about God and His project and His purpose. Now, again, by way of introduction, I want to mention three more things to you, okay? That I want to rattle around in your brain a little bit. They're not going to be at the forefront throughout the whole message, but I want them to rattle around in your brain. So open up your brain so they can rattle around in your brain. This is the tendency of all human beings. Since the fall, since the time that God exiled us from even. We all want to make life work. And I've told you this before, and I'll tell you again. God has rigged the universe in such a way that life just doesn't work the way that we want it to. Andy did not plan for his daughter to be in a car accident. Dale and Sharon did not plan for their RV to be stolen out of their backyard. Carol didn't wake up one morning and decide, I think I'll carry this oxygen thing around with me all day. Life doesn't work like we want it to. And we make, we, we work hard to make it work. Some people call it survival. After the fall, we're in survival mode. But then that's not enough. That's not enough because we weren't created just to survive, right? We were created to thrive. We were created to achieve. God made us in His image and God made us in His likeness. And when we're creative and imaginative and resourceful and industrious and we build things, we make things, we accomplish goals, we're living in the image and likeness of God like He created us. And so it's not enough to just survive. We want to thrive. We want to achieve. And everybody in the room wants to achieve. Not everybody in the room wants to make a million dollars, but everybody in the room wants to achieve. They want to achieve something as simple as hanging on to a friendship. 
They want to achieve something as, 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 as simple as making it through school. Everybody has this desire to achieve. And then the third thing, that's significance. Everybody in the room wants to be significant. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you want to be admired as a mother. You want to achieve. You want to be significant. You don't want your efforts in this life to go unnoticed indefinitely. You want to be recognized. The third thing is, once you've achieved, we all got to work really hard to hang on to it. Don't answer this question out loud. Don't raise your hand. Don't nod your head. Don't do anything like that. Okay? Don't give yourself away. But how many in the room are exhausted trying to hang on to what they've achieved? You're just trying to hang on. We call that security. Stability. And everybody wants it. Everybody wants to make it in life. Everybody wants to advance beyond that and achieve in life. And everybody, whatever they've achieved, they want to hang on to it. And can I tell you, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. It all depends on who you're trusting and what your motive is. Now I think that Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, will make sense to a contemporary audience. By the way, this wasn't written to you. It was written to people that think differently than we do. <laughs> But God has this way of transcending that and making it relevant to us all. Now, this may not have been your, your daddy's interpretation of Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Okay, but bear with me. I put the work in. Okay? Now, the whole earth. Let's pray. Father, guide us through this passage. Help us to understand what you're saying to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the whole earth. Now this, these are all the descendants of, of Noah. Remember from Noah, Noah came out of, the, out, of the, out of the ark with his family. These are his descendants. And we don't know specifically who this is, but we know that these people, these people, whoever they are, they lived in a certain time. They had certain thought processes. They left the ark. Their, their ancestors did. Left the ark. And here they are. These are human beings. And these are representative human beings. In other words, they exhibit the same kind of tendencies and inclinations that are in us. Okay, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about. It's all about the inclinations and the tendencies that are in us. Now, in Genesis 
1 to 11, there are three offense stories, three offending, uh, offending events that took place that God has recorded for us. The first was in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God said, don't, don't eat this fruit. Don't eat this fruit. All of this is available to you. All of paradise. This is, this is like the most beautiful park that you've ever seen. And it's all for you, Adam and Eve, and all for you to, to populate with, with little kids in your image and your likeness. It's all for you, and I'll be present with you there. I will be with you there. I will put my name there. I will be with you, and you can walk with me, and you can talk with me, and we'll live this life together. But Adam and Eve decided, we don't want to live with you. This slimy creature over here has convinced us that we can live better without you. And what happened? Boom, expelled. Expelled from the garden. Now, this is not a criticism. Most of us don't do this. And I've got to admit, I don't do it every day. But most, what we all should. Look at what you're longing for. Ask yourself, what is it that you're longing for? And if you're a teenage boy, you're going to say, a girlfriend. If you're a college graduate, you're going to say, a good job. And a girlfriend. Or a boyfriend. Depending on where you're at in life, you're going to say these things. But understand this that all of us long for essentially one thing, for, for basically one thing, to be back in that garden. And to have closeness and intimacy with the one who made us. That's your deepest longing. I have no hesitancy at all and telling you that that is your and my deepest longing. And we gave it up to be autonomous. We gave it up to think for ourselves. And God wants us to think, but He wants us to trust Him. If you're wondering what it is that's not there that should be, what it is that you're longing for, what it is that you want, that's what it is. Second offense story is the flood, and that's, that's, that happened because we just, we just took autonomy to an extreme, and we just decided as human beings that we just weren't going to live like God designed for us to live. And so he sent a flood, and he gave the world a bath, and he washed it all away. But he didn't wash it all away. And here we are, a couple of chapters later, Genesis chapter 11, Babel. 
the whole earth had one language and the same words. One language and the same words. Now, use your imagination. That's I, I, one, of the, one of our challenges in this world is communication, right? They had absolutely perfect communication. No need for translation, nothing like that. Just absolutely perfect communication. Go get this. There's no question. They went and got it. Could you do this? No question. They went and did it. There, this cooperative effort was, 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 was made easier by the fact that they had this perfect communication. All had the same tongue. All had the same vocabulary. And in doing any project, what is the most important thing? If you've ever been in charge of a project, what is the most important thing that you need among your comrades, your companions, your co-workers? What is the one thing that you need according to, to accomplish your project? You need good communication. If you run a small business, what you need is good communication. You don't need rebels running around doing their own thing. You need good communication. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now I want you to notice something, okay? I want you to notice that they traveled east. They were expelled from Eden and they moved east. They continued to move east. They continued to move further east. They continued to move further east. And the more east they moved, the more removed from God they became. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. These representative human beings. Okay, nothing bad about this so far, right? They're just a group of people on the move. They had this wonderful gift of communication, this unhindered communication without obstacles. And they have, they, they're journeying, they're going, they're moving. And they find a plain. And they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now the importance of that is that in Palestine, they built with stone. And stone was, was solid. They built with stone. But in, in, the, in, 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 in the rest of the ancient Near East, and particularly in Babylon, they didn't have stones to build with. So they had to develop this technology in order to build solid structures that would last. So they came up with this technology because that's what we do as human beings. We're very good at that. We're accomplished as human beings. We can achieve. And they wanted to achieve this thing. So they said, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Here's their project. Now listen to this carefully. Okay. This is not the time to go to sleep. Because this, this, this particular passage, now I believe this about all the Bible, but this particular passage can really set a tone for your life. 
Normally, people have interpreted this passage as these folks trying to build a tower so that they can reach into heaven and somehow be like God. They wanted to go up in their pride. They wanted to go up. But that's not what's happening here. That's not at all what's happening here. In fact, just the opposite is happening. This is where it's important to remember the Bible is written for us, not to us. So we have to take into account here the original audience and what they would have thought about God. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening, remembering human tendencies, remembering human inclinations. All scholars agree now that this tower is something called a ziggurat. You ever heard that phrase before, or that word before, ziggurat? All scholars agree that what they were building here is a ziggurat. Now, in any city of the ancient Near East, there was a whole complex. There was a ziggurat. There was a temple. There were granaries. There were administrative buildings. That sort of thing. Most people didn't live in a city. They lived outside the city. But all the administration in the city took place in the city. And that included the temple complex. A ziggurat was a huge stairway. A ziggurat was a huge stairway. So the tower that's being referred to is a huge stairway. Now they would, they would bake these bricks and they would build this huge stairway and there was nothing inside the stairway. They would fill it with dirt or, 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 or with something else. It was just a stairway. And it was built next to the temple. And it was built for this purpose. So that the gods could come down the stairway, go to the temple, get the food and the drink that they needed, and then go back up the steps and stop at the top and be refreshed and then ascend back to heaven. Do you understand what's happening? They're building a ziggurat. They're building a temple so that they can get on God's good side. Only it's not God, it's God's. They're building a temple. They're building a ziggurat so that God will come down eat their food, drink their drink that they offered and these grateful gods would take care of their needs. Something you have to understand, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, listen, in the ancient world, people believed that human beings were created for slave labor.
and that we existed to meet the needs of these needy gods. Question. How many of you in the room conceive of God as having needs? If you do, stop. He's not a God like that. They lived with problems. Famine would come. Enemies would come and attack. They lived with all kinds of problems. They thought that by feeding, housing, providing drink, for their gods, that their gods would be favorably disposed toward them and they would conquer these things. They were trying to make life work. And they were achievers. They were intent on making a name for themselves. I'll be the first to confess this. But I bet there are other confessors in the room. I've lived too much of my life trying to make a name for myself and not enough of my life trying to exalt the name of the Lord my God. We sang about it earlier. His name exalted. His name exalted. See, they were trying to bring the presence of God, but they were, they were distorting the very, the very image of God. By the way, let, let's just read the rest of it, then I've got something else to share with you, okay? All right, so... Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we'd be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They wanted to be, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier to have your needs met and to, and, to, and to function in life collectively than it is individually, and that's what they were looking for, just this collective togetherness. It adds more security to our lives when we're together, when we're a collective as a group. They wanted, to, they wanted to preserve that. And interesting and ironically enough, verse 5, the Lord did come down. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, now this is his assessment. Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Think about the things that we have achieved. I have absolutely no idea what it took to get a man on the moon. But I know it took a lot. I can only minimally perceive 
what it means to put up a skyscraper. To build a stadium that can, that can, that can, that can hold 100,000 people without falling in. Think of all that we've achieved. This is only beginning, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down in there, confuse their language. This is the judgment. This is the judgment of God. This is an offensive event that takes place. This is an event where these people just disregard the very character of God and distort and twist the character of God. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. So the city ends up unfinished. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And the next story is Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I want to make a name for you, a great name for you. And God reveals himself to Abraham. And Genesis 1 to 11 just sets us up for what takes place with Abraham. Abraham's one of those wanderers, one of those sojourners, one of those people on the move. And God comes to him and says, I'll make your name great. And in the process, you'll make my name great. It's a response to the story in Genesis 11. Not all unity is good unity. We don't, we don't unify. The core around which we unify is Jesus Christ. Any other core is insufficient. Any other core will crumble. The core around which God's people unified is Jesus Christ. The core around which the people of Babylon unified was their common human achievement, their project. God has a project. And that's to destroy our projects that don't take Him into account. And to make sure that we get God right. See, that was the thing. They didn't get God right. God can't be manipulated. Is there anyone, listen, listen, is there anyone in the room who thinks for one second that you're doing God a favor by sitting in this pew? That you're adding to God or taking away from God by sitting in the pew? Anybody think for one second that by opening up their Bible and reading it that they're obligating God to their cause? Anybody in the room think you can leverage God with your prayer? Remember Brother D? With the finger that could reach to the back of the room from the front of the room? Brother D, my professor at Mid-South Bible College, coming into the room saying, let God be God. Let 
does not exist for us. We exist for Him. And we provide Him nothing. We provide Him nothing. John Walton wrote a commentary on Genesis. He calls what's happening then and now God abuse. I don't want Grace Community Church to be accused or guilty of God abuse. Listen to this. I'm going to read it. You listen, please. By nature, we are all pagans. Now, pagans doesn't mean without religion. Pagan means twisted and distorted religion. Caught in the Babel syndrome. When we think we can manipulate God by praying in Jesus' name to achieve selfish purposes, our paganism is showing. When we claim promises as a means of making God do what we want Him to do, our paganism is showing. When we come to think we are indispensable to God because of the money we donate, the talents we have, the ministries we engage in, or the worship we offer, our paganism is showing. When we treat God as a child to be cajoled or a tyrant to be appeased, the Babel syndrome is surging in our veins. We want a manageable God light. We want to be able to harness His power for our benefit. No strings attached. Our society has confronted child abuse and spouse abuse, but this is God abuse. Michelle, when I prayed for you, I asked that God's will be done. I couldn't bring myself to pray, God, make everything perfect. I couldn't bring myself to pray that because you know what? Here's the thing. I don't know what's perfect. Not everybody that gets a new kidney ends up back in church in just a few weeks. It is true, though, that not everybody who gets a new kidney, kidney is as effusive, as expressive <laughs> in their praise. 
But if the kidney didn't work, when the son dies before the father, when the girl almost loses her life because she fell asleep at the wheel, does God know what he's doing then? when it just doesn't work out the way that I want it to. Is God, God then? Or do I need a little more reading of the Bible? Do I need a little more prayer? Do I need a little more worship? Should we start a Wednesday night service? Should we start a Sunday evening service? Should we come to the church every day? Should we beg and plead for God to love us because at this point it doesn't seem like He is loving us? Absolutely not. God couldn't love you any more or any less than He loves you right here, right now, at this moment. God doesn't change. And we don't change Him. And God can't be bribed We have totally taken this passage out of context, but it says this in the Psalms. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your sacrifices. Treat me like I should be treated. He is God. Start by saying this. God, I don't know what I need. I just know that I need you. God, I don't know. I, I don't understand you. But I'm willing to learn. Show me in your word what you're like. Show me more of yourself. See, that's where it starts. It doesn't start bottom up. It starts top down. God reveals Himself to us. We don't work our way toward Him. He reveals Himself to us. That's what He did with Abraham. He came to Abraham and He revealed Himself to Abraham. And then He started His project. And what was the point? What was the purpose? What is the point and purpose of his project? Eden. Redemption. Going back to a time and a place where we walked and talked with God in His very presence. You can see it through the Bible. Temple. Holy Spirit, Jesus. The presence of God. The presence of God. 
they tried to create sacred space in their twisted religious thinking. Here's an amazing thing. <laughs> Andy's pointing to his heart. You realize we are sacred space. We are the temple. God's temple. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The very presence of God. Sacred space. You want to edit someone's behavior? Remind them their sacred space. God's not only watching while you're in church. God transcends the world. He transcends everything. He's watching all the time. He knows us wholly and completely. I could go on and on and on and on. I could babble on. But I think you get it. Let God be God. Heavenly Father, help us to treat you like you are worthy to be treated. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.